Welcome back to Humanity First. This is Jenner. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by one of our supporters, Ron Russell, also known as Utopia42. Ron, thanks for making the time today. Thank you. Thank you, Jenner. Uh, Very happy to be here. It's one of those weird uh, synchronicities, you know, (laughs) trying to plan anything uh, these last couple years has been challenging to say the least so it's always nice when things like this kind of line up yeah yeah the previous 16 months or so has been traumatic um and uh realizing that that is where we live is helpful in moving forward absolutely so for the um we have some shared social circles for but for those of the uh, listeners who aren't familiar with you how would you describe uh, your primary objective there in the world sure so uh, my primary objective is to uh, help anybody who is interested to uh, learn some of the skills of meditation and adopt it as a regular practice right it's my personal belief that if we knew ourselves at a deeper and broader level that the world would be much, much different. Um, If we all saw the traumas or the difficulties of the past and saw the interconnectedness of our society and how we are, that uh, people would respond and behave differently. And through that, uh, it would improve. And so almost all of my uh, things that I do in the world, whether it's um, Burning Man or humanism or video games or um, meditation, it it all jives around helping people to become better human beings um, as much as they're interested in learning, right? Everybody has to be uh, ready and willing to uh, put in the work because it does take work to grow. Mm, Quite a bit. It it is a personal voyage of (laughs) self-discovery. Yes, yes. And it it does take practice, kids. Uh, I haven't been too great on the um, actual, you know, mindfulness practice. I have it kind of running as a subroutine to where I'm trying to be more mindful of things like posture, what my body's telling me. Do I need to sleep? Uh, Did I have too many breakfast whiskeys? I should probably drink some water. (laughs) That kind of thing. So I have have the uh, mindfulness subroutine running, but as far as actual practice goes, deliberative sitting down and doing it, I have a really hard time with that. So I'm always thrilled to talk to people like you. So like all things, the more we practice, the better we get at it right? Uh, Whether that is learning how to drive a car, playing a piano, meditating, um, uh, doing math and language, right? The more that we work at something, the better we get. These are simply skills that people can grow and acquire. They aren't uh, innate places of being, right? Everybody starts at a different baseline, right? Everybody starts with different skills at the outset. But uh, all of these can be learned and grown and developed and cultivated. And uh, it just takes time and practice, but it does take practice. You're not going to get there by simply thinking about it. You need to actually Mm. practice. And it is kind of for a lot of people, I think at least it is for me, being inside one's own head is, is kind of uncomfortable. It's not a comfortable place to, to visit for most people. So it's, it's a dark place. You don't want to go at night by yourself, right? Uh, precisely. Precisely. So yeah, I'm yeah. Really trying to shift my you know daily routines to include more of that deliberative kind of you know uncomfortable. It's almost like working out. You know, well, working out. I feel like is a good metaphor. You're breaking your muscles to build them up. It is a extremely good metaphor, right? So um, the stories we tell ourselves matter, right? The the routines that run through our head, our internal critic, the, the dialogue that we have with ourselves, it all makes a difference, right? If you tell yourself that you can't eat a box of donuts, then you can't eat a box of donuts. 
if you continually tell yourself that you can eat a whole box of donuts, then you can. Uh, Soyu Feral of the uh, Monastic Academy up in Vermont recently had a, a post about this where, um, yeah, and, and this, this internal dialogue and this script goes on and on, right? And so learning, A, that this script is happening, right? Because if you're all caught up in it, you can't fix it. You have to step away from it and go, oh, I'm getting spun up on X, Y, and Z. Here's, here's a way to, to see it. And once you see it, then you can start doing things to impact it. Um, but generally, when you're caught up in the feeling of anger or stress, anxiety, uh, depression, you're caught in that and you can't get some objectivity to that. And uh, meditation really helps you to step back from what you're experiencing so that you can respond and not react, right? Um, in, uh, there's a mindful policing uh, initiative going on right now where uh, the difference between that response and reaction or, or the reaction and the response, right? So the reaction is what you have immediately, right? Something hits you, most human beings are negatively inclined, that stuff falls to the negative and we act out on that. Uh, if you are able to really train yourself and, and see that you aren't tied to those reactions, you aren't defined by that, it allows you to uh, change that response, right? And that's something that police officers are practicing at Tempe, at the city of Tempe, right? Sylvia Moore, the chief of police, is doing a uh, study with ASU and the Smart Policing Grant where uh, she is training police officers to meditate and seeing with body cam footage exactly what impact that has. Um, we think it's going to have a good impact, but the data will, the data will prove out. Yeah, I think there, there probably really isn't any domain where one might operate where having that process running isn't going to be a good thing, you know? Um, especially in a high-stress work environment like that, these are really the tools that we need people to have, um, especially people that we put, you know, in positions of authority or power because humans are fallible. Spoiler alert, kids. Um, you know, susceptible to all kinds of, you know, emotions, and that's a hell of a stressful work environment. I wouldn't know what I would do from day to day not knowing what you're walking into, that uncertainty and in some sense you know expectations we always kind of expect the worst if if law enforcement are, are getting involved it's one of those situations that we really should have a kind of uh, at least an awareness um, which I think um, most people kind of push that away because of the uncomfortable factor um, and I, I like that you mentioned the internal critic, the own worst enemy, the evil asshole in, in the head, because um, I don't think anybody really likes theirs, but we, we tend to spend, I think, a little bit too much time with them. We give them a little bit too much airtime. So being able to step back from that and uh, almost kind of go up into orbit and simulate the overview effect uh i've talked about the overview effect here and there when when i get into conversations around you know philosophy of mind and things i, I think collectively that's kind of what we need as a species um which is something that you know handful of astronauts couple hundred i don't know how many people have been up there in low earth orbit but they this is something that they they just feel and intuit it it's that large overview effect you you get above all of the problems and see them from a different perspective um, and suddenly all of the little quibbles and things that we're having over imaginary lines that we've drawn in the sand seem so inconsequential because you you get the feeling of you get that magic of oh my god look at what we are look at where we are look at what we're doing uh, so as, as much as we can, we need to force people 
a little bit up into orbit to get a sense of that <laughs> overview. Well, yeah, effect. encourage different perspectives, right? Because mm. right, that, that's that's right. The Dalai Lama has a analytical meditation where uh, he takes a problem or a situation and he looks at it from not only his perspective, but the perspective of a loved one, a stranger, a family member, an enemy, and an ally, right? And you look at it from all of these different perspectives and it gives you, it, it at least allows you to stop getting so wrapped up in it. But there are some really good ways to work with that inner critic um, that we all have, right? We are uh, in our society uh, judged very harshly um, and judge ourselves most harshly. And so working with that in a way that is productive without pushing it away, right? Because that inner critic is really there to keep you safe. He's just going about it in a very shitty way, right? Because that's the way we've trained ourselves to be hard on ourselves, to drive out better performance. Um, when it's really probably better to understand where you're coming from and to have some compassion around I'm, I'm a human being, right? I, I'm going to make mistakes and it's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we flourish. Um, but doing things to work with that inner critic, like um, you can either talk with, pretend like when you notice it, pretend like it's be, uh, my personal preference is Beaker from the Muppets, right? And it brings some levity and some humor to that because, oh, I'm doing that inner dialogue critiquing myself again and, and I poke some fun at it. Uh, you can do a uh, name it and claim it where you name it to a old grumpy grandpa and welcome him to the party and go, well, thanks for coming again. Okay. And you, you manage in that way. You can do the, uh, the, the Charlie Brown parents voice. And even noticing that you're doing that and poking a little fun at yourself helps to pop you out of that. Right. And, and help to get you that, um, that different perspective. Yeah, I think that the big misstep that we make <clears throat> is that we start to identify with, <laughs> you know, the evil asshole in the head and become friends with it. And it becomes a, a kind of a abusive relationship with oneself, you know, which is absolutely not healthy. You have to know how to, you well, know, deal with that entity <laughs> when it arrives. Yeah, um, you... You aren't your thoughts, right? You aren't your feelings, right? The, the thoughts that you have and the feelings that you have arise on their own, right? It's not like you can shut your brain off and it won't have thoughts, right? Your brain is an idea generating machine. It doesn't stop. Um, and learning how to work with it more skillfully is really where that trick lays, right? Because um, you're never going to to stop it, right? And people have this idea that uh, once you meditate and get to this Olympic level of meditation, your your mind is eternally calm. That's not true. What happens is you have fluctuations and they return to that baseline level of normalcy faster, right? You're able to 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 process it more quickly. You still get angry or anxious. Just like everybody else, you're just able to really kind of reprocess that into a way that uh, doesn't have you responding or reacting in a way that is unskillful. Mm. And it, this gets a little bit too um, into things like addiction and, and substance abuse because people's people's kind of fight or flight response is, is generally just to try to silence that inner thing, just dull it out, just just get it the fuck out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with all the, these negative thoughts and negative emotions. I want to go away to into imagination land and just escape, but it is obviously uh, much healthier to sit in the room with it and try to understand it better and work with it. 
you know. Yeah. It's always going to be there. <laughs> it is. It's it's hard to do. It's hard to realize that these uh, sensations that we feel and these thoughts that we have, uh, the more we push away from them, the more power we give them, right? The more yes. resistance we give them, the more they will control us, right? So the skillful move is is to simply sit in whatever that discomfort is. And, and there is a, a window of opportunity to work with it and a wall where it's simply too painful and you need to divert your attention away from that. That's knowing when to apply those different schools of thought, right? Um, obviously, if you are in a depressive episode, um, that may not be the right time to sit in that depressive episode and, and work through that, right? Maybe that's the proper time for a nurture positive practice or loving kindness um, uh, or a gratitude practice, right? And, and understanding when to use the different tools of mindfulness for your different situations is really key. Um, but, but we are not our thoughts, we are not our emotions. And the more that we get wrapped up in this, the more we are carried away by that and aren't able to have that objective, I am a human being who is angry, not I am anger, right? Mm -hmm. I am angry, right? It's, it's like I am experiencing this sensation of anger, which is a tightness in the chest and a clenching of the fists and a furrowing of the brow. And this is, this is what I'm experiencing, right? It's not who you are, right? Just like uh, someone that does something bad, uh, cheats on someone, does drugs, whatever, uh, is not defined by that. Uh, Dr. Gaber Matei talks about addiction and uh, drug abuse from a perspective of not a disease that you have that you carry with you, but a result of past trauma and experiences that you can learn to work with more skillfully, right? And uh, there's a whole line of uh, thought behind smart recovery, which is a secular uh, perspective of dealing with addiction and addictive tendencies, whether they're chemical, uh, sex, gambling, uh, video games, take your pick. Um, and that allows you to, to work with it outside of that traditional 12-step um, relinquishing your power unto God and all of that stuff. So that's exactly where I was going next. Uh, is is that the culturally we have this this mechanism twelve step? It, you know, admit that you are powerless. Give all your power to some uh, other entity. Um, you are just you know you are the disease basically which is the exact opposite uh, of what people really need to hear, which is why I find it astonishing that we still, that we still have that shit court-mandated in some cases. Oh, you need to go to this, you know, religious re-education camp <laughs> where you, you admit that you're just a monster and you have no control over your own life and you have to give up everything to, you know, some imagined being I, I think this is a, a smart recovery is is one of the things I think I'm going to be focusing on quite a bit in in the coming years like actually smart ways of going about uh, trying to better oneself I've been on the, the journey of self betterment for a while and it, you know I stumble quite frequently but being able to admit that noticing that first of all and then admitting it um, that you like, yeah, this is hard, guys. Um, is, some days are harder than others, but that that it really the onus is on the the self. Um, own own yourself, um, as as opposed to giving it away to you know negative thoughts, emotions, feelings, chemical dependencies, um, you know ethereal beings, whatever it may be. It's really about owning owning the self and getting a better grasp on that which is i think why this kind of stuff hasn't gone mainstream because that to most people sounds like torture <laughs> i think 
the, the we are uh, wrapped in uh, our, our society is wrapped in the delusion that there are supernatural forces, right? Whether you call them um, astrology, ghosts, um, gods, uh, all of this stuff that influences us and we absolve ourselves of some of that responsibility when we put our uh, put our lives in the hands of a, a tarot deck, right? And um, I, I think that this is, uh, Richard Dawkins calls it uh, delusional, right? But not in a way that is, I, I'm saying you're delusional. I'm saying that delusion is a belief system that when challenged with fact, doesn't change. Right. Here's here's the facts of the thing. There isn't a sky daddy, right? And we there. This belief that there is permeates people's uh, political decisions, their family decisions, whether they believe in uh, lesbian and gay rights, uh, how we treat other human beings according to this word of God written by human beings some 2,000 years ago, if you were looking at Christianity. Um, but uh, all, almost all of the religions are steeped in this dogmatic belief, right? And Buddhism is the same. I, I own that karma isn't really a thing, guys. I, I, the idea of rebirth, I get it. But realistically, that's a, a dogmatic belief that we need to change our perspectives on and that's one of the reasons that i think religions are so dangerous because they're not willing to change now there are progressive religions that do and to those you people and places of faith i applaud them right that is really living by the tenets i'd say jesus is probably a really cool dude i'd want to have a beer with him right um but I, I'm not saying that that everything that's written in the Bible is a great thing. Yeah, that's and and that is a healthy angle to take on that. And I think most theologians and most people who are actually serious about um, Scripture understand that that there, there's wisdom to be learned in, in, in certain lessons. Um, and then there's also kind of a lot of bad lessons in there as well like you know stoning your kids for disobedience and uh keeping women subservient and silent there's a whole bunch of dog shit in there yeah um but the the thing that we were kind of tickling there is is that in the model that is presented by religious dogmatism there is a higher power involved of some kind no matter where you look across the globe there is some kind of higher power that's involved but it's external to you it's something that you have to become subservient to you know uh to bow down and kiss the feet of whatever magical sky being you want to fix your life and my intuition is that there actually is a higher power there but it's internal it's something inside it's something that we can do as humans it's kind of one of these superpowers that humans have and this is how we build and destroy civilizations if you want to go to that meta level but there is a higher power involved it but it's inside you it's not something out there out in the ether it's it's already there you just have to kind of find it so at that point it's subjective and not objective mm -hmm. and at that point each individual can make their own determination uh, i prefer the if you're going to try and define god to me define him in the physics and the mathematics of the universe right if you want to talk about the mysteries that we have yet to uncover and discover, that is that is the miracle of science to me, right? The and there is a level of awe and majesty from looking up into the the skies and really realizing how small and insignificant we are here on this planet. 
Um, but I, I hesitate to allow or, or give people that subjective perspective to define God however they want to, mm. because it leads us to a very dangerous um, place. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was just uh, reflecting on that in the in in the moment. There is that uh, because <laughs> uh, that's going to be clipped into a soundbite somewhere. Jenner thinks there's a higher power. God is inside you. Um, there's nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing supernatural or metaphysical about it, um, which is, I guess, hard for some people to wrap their heads around but what we can do as as a species when we collaborate together when we work together when we come together under common common goals and ideals is really miraculous which is why we have people out there who go oh there's no way that the pyramids could have been built by us human monkeys that had to be aliens <laughs> or something <laughs> there's nothing supernatural about about this thing at all so if, if your idea of that of finding god uh leads you to the conclusion that you are god i i am an almighty being that's also the wrong answer <laughs> yeah. so let's let's clarify that um we, we, Nothing supernatural about it. <laughs> yeah, we are ultra social animals and are able to uh, do amazing things when we work well together. Um, we're able to land things on Mars, right? We're able to, through science, right? The scientific method disproving things, right? The scientific method states that you have to have something objective and reproducible, right? And and it has to be open to being disproved, right? So all of the the proofs that are required to get to where we understand what we under what are physics and the gravitational forces of interstellar bodies so that we can actually launch something at a certain time, a certain direction, and have it get to a planet that far away from where we are is is truly amazing. And it 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 it, it is as close to magic, right, as as anyone can can claim. I, I think it's I think it's truly amazing what we can accomplish when we work together to on a common goal. So the idea that we've gotten a vaccine in uh, under a year, 18 months type perspective is a huge accomplishment, right? Um, it is a, a modern scientific miracle, right? Where we are able to go, this is everybody working well there's some that aren't but anyways um most of us working towards a solution right and if we had that same kind of focus around um societal injustices or climate change uh or uh ecological disasters we would be able to um really transform things and it's it's my hope that uh that we, when people become more self-aware, they will care more about other people as well as themselves. And they will want to help other people because they realize that through helping others, they help themselves. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. That, that's, that's really it in a nutshell. Uh, I mean, this has been Mindwave in particular has been my kind of feeble attempt at poking at this cosmic monster just a little bit from whatever angle I can approach it from to, you know, because again, it's been primarily just about me and my own journey. Um, I would love to hear more from other people and their journeys. So I open up a voicemail line hey Colin let's let's do this together this is an activity that we're doing together as opposed to content I am making for you to consume <laughs> you know which is why you've been at the top of my list for a while because you're a supporter of the work 
and we haven't we hadn't had a sit down yet and i'm like well it's it's important uh to do that to to be present you know and to actually engage with what we're what we're trying to get at here and uh you know lose stumbling here a little bit on my, on my thoughts i do that quite a bit my brain just goes Neh. well but being present <laughs> so, to yeah. one another uh is critical our most valuable resources are time right mm -hmm. uh they're not making it anymore right you 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 only have so much time to get done everything you need to do and everything that you spend uh, uh edith eager edith eda eager uh in the gift talks about how do you spell love t-i-m-e right where we spend our time determines our priorities in life right so having these conversations in the off chance that it may plant the seed of knowledge in another human being and make them go huh i've never thought of it that way um is is work worth doing right it's why i do uh all of the things that i do within the digital realm in the hopes that someone will go oh that's really interesting i'm going to look into that more planting that seed of curiosity right but that comes from being present in the conversation and being engaged and curious. Mm. And I feel like culturally we've had almost kind of a, a cultural bias against just that whole kind of thinking. We want things dumbed down, prepackaged, plastic wrapped, you know, and a lot of the things that we've been kind of just regurgitating ad nauseum for decades are just wrong just patently false it's not how humans work why are we still teaching especially younger generations that you know this is how you get to here because you know it's clearly it's clearly not the case for you know a lot of things and our social discourse at large is full of I think mostly fairy tales, you know, that we tell ourselves and tell each other to make it a little bit easier to get through the day. But that's that's a temporary quick fix. You know, it's not you're not pushing you're not moving anything forward in that you're just getting by, you're just existing, which one could argue isn't really living at all. We have a cultural paradigm which dehumanizes, desensitizes people out of just out of actual living and just just get in the machine, just do your part, get through the day. You have, you know, negative things arise, just push them away. Get, just keep going. Just keep going. And it's, I think, much healthier <laughs> to take uh, approaches like like these, you know, approaching from step one is just being aware because most people aren't aware. It's almost as like, almost like there's a, a mirror in the room that they've never looked at. You know, they never bothered to look in the mirror. It was there, there the whole time. Uh, but it's just easy to push into a corner just to get through that thing until it's the next thing. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's just eventually you're gonna break. <laughs> You're going to crumble under the weight of all of those, you know, fairy tales that you tell yourself. Yeah, uh, we, Santa we, Claus isn't real, kids. I'm, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of sleepwalking through this life, right? Yes, and precisely. Um, That's a really good way to put it. There's, there's the perspective of attention, attend, wake up. Right. Very common in the Zen practices uh, where you'll be sitting and doing Zazen and the, the uh, Joshi will come and hit you with the, the stick. Right. That stick is to shock you into paying attention and being present. Right. Um, but really, when you're in your present moment and aware of what's happening, whether that's your breathing, the sensation in your hands and your feet, 
the, the coolness of the air on your skin. Perhaps it is uh, a feeling that you're experiencing or a thought pattern that you're having. Simply being aware of that in your present moment is building the skills of concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. So in, in most meditation practices, those three skills are in play. Concentration is your ability to focus on a particular object or task for as long as you choose to. Uh, and that can be as broad as you want. So any sensation that comes into your being or as specific as you want, such as the sensation of the air passing in and out of your nostrils, right? Uh, and then you have your sensory clarity, which is your ability to discern in real time what is happening in your sense perceptions, whether you're seeing it, hearing it, or feeling it, right? And that ability to discern it in real time in as much granularity as possible, right? And that, that may be, where is that feeling of anxiety spatially in your body, right? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it moving? Is it solid? Uh, how is it behaving or reacting? Um, and, and getting really curious about that sensation. And then your equanimity is your ability to neither push away or pull towards an experience, neither to crave something that you don't have or push away an unpleasant experience. And, and those, those meditation, all meditation practices in some way have one of those three things, whether you're focused on the rosary, the word of God, sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, gratitude practices, they all kind of get at this, this concentration, sensory clarity, equanimity. And uh, if you're rooted in your present moment, right? And you're really here and now, you're not thinking about the future or the past which means that you are free from worry and regret, right? If, if you can find a place in yourself where you are free from carrying those bags of worry and regret, which many people carry around and never put down, simply being in that present moment can allow you to do that. And that can be very liberating and very freeing for people. Um, so being present and being engaged is really, and aware and alert and awake is really where the, the, the magic is. Mm. It, it's not some uh, sit there cross-legged and, and go om, and then all of a sudden you transcend to some other spiritual plane and get enlightened. Um, it is more noticing noticing your, where your thoughts are going, noticing yourself getting distracted and pulling yourself back in. Um, my introduction to meditation, just even as a concept, was through Sam Harris and one of the most valuable uh, tools or framing devices that he gave me was Vipassana as, as the, the meditation practice there. And uh, it's... The one I'm most familiar with, Vipassana, where you just kind of just, just focus on the breathing. Notice other things coming up, and the goal is not to push them away, it's to notice them happening and then moving by. Um, metta, I, you know, the love, loving kindness practice, I think, is probably one of the most difficult <laughs> for me to do because humans are garbage monsters. <laughs> but maybe 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 we could um, give a elementary school breakdown of of the different types of practice uh, sure. that that we can teach the listeners about different things that they can do uh, throughout the day uh, that aren't sitting there cross-legged going om and floating yeah. up into the clouds. <laughs> so the, there are uh, many different techniques, right? And these are tools that you can use uh, and they help in different situations and are less helpful in other situations. Uh, in unified mindfulness, which is the uh, methodology that I use and coach, uh, which is secular and uh, not 
rooted in any one particular tradition, uh, not Buddhism, but it comes from Buddhist tradition. Mm -hmm. There is the insight practice or the appreciate quadrant, which is your Vipassana. It is paying attention to your present moment awareness, right? In a specific way. And that is your, uh, your awareness and your appreciation quadrant. Then you have your nurture positive quadrant, which falls within the meta, the gratitude, the loving kindness, uh, where you really work to evoke a feeling of good. So one of my favorite techniques is to uh, focus on a pit full of puppies, right? So if you're in a, a, a pit full of puppies and you're in their play area sitting on the ground and they're hopping and licking on you and all of this, that, that conjures this, in me at least, a sense of real joy, right? It's, it's fun, it's the best thing. And then you simply move your attention to that positive feeling, right? And you keep your attention there as long as that feeling is there. And then when that feeling goes away, as it will, because everything is impermanent, right? Then you re-invoke that feeling. And maybe that feeling isn't a pit full of puppies. Maybe it's your pet. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's um, a spouse, right? But really conjuring up that positive memory of them uh, or that positive feeling and then really shifting your focus from generating that positive feeling to really what does that positive feeling really feel like and how does it feel to sit in that positive feeling and then you ring the bell of intention again and you go back and you cycle that uh, and then there is the uh, transcendence quadrant which is noticing where things arise from and depart to uh, so one of the uh, best practices that Shenzhen Young loves is uh, just note gone, right? We as human beings notice when things come into our sensory experience, we very seldom notice when they go, right? So if you are able to notice when things leave, right, that is a heightened sense of awareness that you're able to, to work with. Um, where does fire go? when it goes away, right? Where does the breath come from and where does the breath go to? Where do thoughts come from and where do thoughts go to? And this idea of a expansion, contraction, and a source from all things from which we spring and return, um, that falls within that transcendence quadrant, right? When you talk about people feeling the interconnectedness of all beings and still being no being, um, that is that quadrant of, of practice. And then finally in Unified Mindfulness, the fourth is the uh, spontaneity quadrant or the auto quadrant. Uh, and that is that childlike exuberance and bounce that that we all as human beings have and oftentimes don't work with, right? Um, when you tell a child to go play, you don't have to give them any specific details. They just figure it out and go play, right? Where does that come from? How do you cultivate that? Um, when having a good conversation, how do you continue that conversation and just allow the words to come and this is this is how auto talk happens um, so those are the four general quadrants and within each of those four quadrants are a, a dozen to 16 different techniques that cultivate concentration sensory clarity and equanimity and challenge you in very different ways right so uh the, the most common is to follow your breath, right? And that is often uh, trite, but it's always there. You always have your breath to fall back on, right? It, it is always there. Um, one of the signature uh, unified mindfulness te techniques is called see, hear, feel, right? It is an open awareness technique. It is something that, uh, okay, so here we go. So uh, C is your visual ocular out spectrum, okay? When you close your eyes, 
that is also your mental screen, right? Maybe you notice a modeling across your vision as well, uh, but that is C, and that falls within the C quadrant uh, or the, the, the C area. Then you have here, which is the sound of my voice, uh, the airplane outside, my refrigerator humming. Uh, that is here, as well as the inner dialogue, the self-critiquing, the thoughts that I have, that is all here also. And then your feel sensations are touch, smell, taste, uh, uh, the pain in my knee is a feel, as well as my inner emotional landscape, right? And so uh, the sense of anxiety or uh, whatever, whatever you're emotionally going through, love, is a, a feel, right? So, and the technique is simply to pay attention to what is happening in your present moment with uh, the noting and labeling. So noting is simply paying attention, sinking into that sensation, right? Labeling is keeping yourself on that track. So I would say see, because I'm seeing you here, I'm hearing my voice. Feel, I'm feeling the sensation of my fingers. Um, and you would go through your meditation practice simply paying attention and mentally labeling see, hear, or feel as it arises, right? And what this does is it allows you to pay present moment attention to what's happening, as well as not get so wrapped up in what is happening, but simply that it is happening. Right? You're noticing this see, hear, feel sensation um, without saying, I'm anxious, or that's a bad thought, or I'm visualizing this really bad time in my life, right? So when you, when you kind of divorce it from that power by just labeling it see, hear, and feel. So you would go through a, a meditation practice where you would simply see, Feel, feel, hear, see, feel, and, and that's, that's the cadence, right? You don't have to label the labels. When you notice yourself labeling the labels, just go ahead and drop that. Uh, and then if you don't have any activity and any sensation, you can label that rest, right? Because sometimes if you're closing your eyes and you're sitting on your meditation cushion and you're kind of grasping for something, you don't have to grasp. You can just acknowledge that as a moment of rest. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the see, hear, feel technique in a nutshell. I really like that. There's almost something kind of... What's the word? Uh, I'm looking for a word. I can't find it. But it, it is almost kind of, it invokes that kind of childlike wonder thing of playing with blocks. And, you know, the blue triangle goes in this hole and the red square goes over here in the yellow circle. And it does give that sense of play. You're just in the room. This goes here. This goes there. And that's something that I think can be tremendously helpful for people and that's not that's not a practice uh that i was familiar with because i haven't done the hard work that it takes to get into serious meditation practice and my exposure has been you know not terribly much i mean i i listened to sam harris for several years i haven't in the last uh, year or two but he was the one who kind of opened that door to my mind and at some point I, I just kind of took what I got and, and just kept moving and kept moving and forgot to sit down you know by the tree and just <laughs> watch the clouds <laughs> go by um, which is really what I you know should be doing on a kind of daily basis I call it Studio Stargazer because that is one of my meditation practices if I can call it that is to just turn off as many lights as possible and go out in the backyard and look up look at look up you know getting to know the night sky where's uh oh where's this planet tonight and, oh i remember this coming up 
uh, this constellation coming up, I can expect now to see that constellation roughly at that part of the sky at this time of year, um, getting acquainted with it. So I feel like that that sensory tool is is really valuable, and not not necessarily having to pin down exactly what that is. Just it's something I'm feeling, something I'm hearing, something tasting. Yeah. You know, or so just resting. You, you said something really important is that sense of curiosity, right? The mm-hmm. sense of curiosity about what's going on within you, right? If, if you can take that inner dialogue and switch it around from being critical to being curious, oh, then, then that has a lot of power. And then you're able to see things like, oh, when I visualize this thing of this past event, I have this story that wraps around in my head that triggers this bad feeling that caused from that event, which then goes back up into here about, oh, they were so blah, blah, blah about that, right? And you notice these circuits happening over and over again. And it allows you to interrupt that circuit at an earlier and earlier phase so that when you start visualizing this bad thing that happened to you, it doesn't have to get to that point where you're all of a sudden anxious about it. You're able to see it, stop telling yourself that story, focus away on it, or have some equanimity and compassion to yourself about it. Um, and, And then, work with it in a more skillful way. But if there is one suggestion I could make to people about their meditation practice, it's to be curious about it, right? Approach it with a sense of curiosity and childlike wonder, because there is a ton for you to learn there. Yes, I just made the note, uh, you know, uh, babies naturally can swim and they naturally do yoga. as one of these examples of the the childlike curiosity that was kind of culturally beaten out of us in some sense we have to relearn what we unlearned as children because i think this is the natural human state the thing that we're we're digging at here is the natural state of being a human being but they they conditioned us out of doing that they culturally society. We, us. <laughs> us. We did that. Yes. Uh, we need to relearn what we unlearned as children. And I think that's that's a really beautiful thought to kind of bring it home with is to just be a cosmically curious star baby made of star stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, go back to being a kid and, uh, you know, play around in the mud. Uh, we're coming up on our on our hour mark, but this has just been phenomenally uh, got this as a practice <laughs> the the podcasting practice um, tremendously valuable this is this is an insanely valuable lesson uh, for me today to walk away with that I that I will remember and reflect on fondly quite often <laughs> um, but in um, in kind of closing out here, uh, where, what are what are the the best resources and tools, the places that you would send people if they fell in love with this conversation and are are sold on it? And like, yes, I want to explore this more. What what are the places you would direct them to go? So, um, from a meditation perspective, I would direct them to the Unified Mindfulness uh, groups and pages. Uh, we are an international group of coaches and meditators who really uh, work and collaborate well together to bring these skills of mindfulness into people's practices in all different types of ways. We have people working with uh, Adidas uh, for their, uh, their athletes, law enforcement, teachers, um, legislators, Uh, all different types of of ways to infuse meditation into this. Um, And so that's that's probably where I would go for them. Um, 
Uh, my personal information is at utopia42.com. Uh, I uh, really want to bring meditation and mindfulness into video games, right? I think that we, uh, as human beings, become like those we hang out with, and we spend a lot of time hanging out with people on video games. So if we can build a community of meditators who video game, then we can help ourselves to react and respond better when adverse things happen in video games and you get griefed and killed over and over again. How do you respond? What's coming up in your body, right? How do you manage that, that dialogue, right? These are real world experiences that are largely safer than, uh, than events that happen in day-to-day -day life. Um, and if you're interested in humanism, I am at the Humanist Society of Greater Phoenix. Uh, I am the program director there and a humanist chaplain. And uh, we do all kinds of uh, weekly events uh, from coffee talks to hiking to uh, humanist meditation. There is a Sunday speaker event every other Sunday where we bring in special speakers that talk on a wide range of topics that relate to uh, what it means to be a good human being without the belief in a higher power. Yeah, the secular element of this, I think, is, is one that's really worth kind of championing is that this is a secular exercise and and it's not one it's one that's in line with the scientific method and the scientific way of thinking as well um which is one of what makes it so appealing to me um this does not involve you know go buy this book and then give your life over to this book and right. just believe this for the sake and believing in it um, what we're getting at here isn't a belief system. It's we're talking about ways of being, and these are ways of being. These, these are the best lessons that we've collectively learned as a species over the course of our evolution um, within a secular framework that that is totally detached from you know the kinds of teachings that people are used to religious right. kind of doctrinal. Uh, thing. So I think that's incredibly valuable and, and worth repeating that uh, we're not getting in any anything supernatural here. If anything, we're, we're turning the lens of attention onto nature and really observing everything that we can observe about it and what can we take from that, um, which I think is, is uh, a fantastic endeavor. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. Least. Uh, oh man, Whew. that was a blast. <laughs> I was not it expecting was. this this morning. I was waking up and getting caffeinated, and uh, I'd sent you a, a Facebook message in the middle of the night because it said you were on, and I went, Oh shit, he actually wasn't online. My bad. <laughs> Those uh, weird hours of the day thing, but I'm really glad that we caught up this morning and got to sit down and dig into this because it's it's a valley I need to travel into more I need to spend more time in there uh, so thank you just on a personal level for bringing me back into this room uh, a little bit because I do need to spend some more time here but I, my, my pleasure I, I, I again if I have planted the seed of knowledge and inspired a little curiosity, then that's great. I, I am happy to have done that. And uh, I really hope that it uh, serves to be that impetus that allows you to go, all right, fine, I'll freaking try this stupid thing. I'll, I'll, I'll take at least one mindful breath a morning or a day. I'll find a place to sit and meditate. Uh, I'll try and turn it into a regular practice um, or, or somehow interweave it into my life because that's really that's really where the secret sauce is, is, is bringing it into your life and off of the cushion and into how you embody yourself in the world and interact. So yes. I, I wish you the very best. 
Oh, well, thank you. And uh, eventually, we're going to have to talk about video games at some point, too, because that's, that's <laughs> bringing it into other domains. Virtual worlds is uh, is a really that we could go for another three hours on that. But uh, yeah, it is about bringing it into places as opposed to um, going to the cushion, as it were. So uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for doing this today. Um, stick around for a minute after we cut to make sure that we upload, we get all our audio uh, okay. salvaged. Thank you so much. This was a blast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Be well. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is 42. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. In the radio series and the first novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a group of hyper-intelligent pan-dimensional beings demand to learn the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything from the supercomputer Deep Thought, specially built for this purpose. It takes Deep Thought 7.5 million years to compute and check the answer, which turns out to be 42. Deep Thought points out that the answer seems meaningless because the beings who instructed it never knew what the question was. Stargazer.